We are The Table and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope that this message moves you forward. I'm excited to be here. I I love this church. I love what you guys are doing here. I'm super excited uh, about Pastor Nate coming. I've got to know Pastor Nate on the district uh, for the last uh, couple years here, and I'm excited for for you all and what Pastor Nate's going to do here. I know sometimes transition isn't always easy, but I feel like Pastor Brad laid a great foundation so that Pastor Nate will be able to come and be able to hit the ground running, and so I'm excited for what the future holds here for the table, how you guys are impacting your community here in Joliet. So, hey, before I start, would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks so much for this opportunity to be here this morning with these great people here at the table. And God, I just pray that uh, as you have given me words, God, I pray that it won't be my words, but it will be your words speaking through me this morning. And may we understand your grace a little bit better today. We love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, I've noticed, I don't know if you have or not, but I have noticed that there are an increasing number of holidays that we celebrate in our world, right? Some of them are holidays that we know fairly well, right? Mother's Day, I mean, that's an awesome day. We have the opportunity to to celebrate and honor moms. Easter and Christmas come to mind, obviously, uh, 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 a time where we can kind of focus on what Jesus has done for us by coming to this earth. And then there are some days that pop up on our social media feeds that maybe we are like, I'm not sure where that came from. Maybe they're not really all that important. Uh, And so I came across a few that maybe you've been familiar with, maybe you've celebrated, maybe you haven't. Maybe you should. I don't know. Uh, April 28th, National Blueberry Pie Day. I mean, who wouldn't want to celebrate that, right? On a similar similar scale, May 28th, National Hamburger Day. I love a good hamburger, right? Who doesn't? Uh, Here's one I think I've heard of. I'm pretty certain I've never celebrated it. On September 19th, it's Talk Like a Pirate Day. So I don't know know what that's all about, right? Most of us don't celebrate these made-up holidays, although I will say on June 3rd, I do like to drive through Dunkin' Donuts and get a free donut on National Donut Day, right? I mean, those are some good things, and so maybe they're not all that bad. But there's another day that I came across recently that maybe some of you have heard of, maybe you haven't, but it's celebrated on January 10th each year, and it's called this, National Peculiar Person Day. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Now, if you were to Google National Peculiar Person Day, this is the definition that you would find. Peculiar People Day is here to celebrate the leaders of the strange and unusual Those who refuse to succumb to the world's idea of what is normal and sane. Whether they simply dress in their own style or have a very clear idea of what is normal and right, Peculiar People Day is their opportunity to shine. 
Some of you just found a new holiday to celebrate, right? That's my holiday. Some of you, maybe that's a great thing, right? Now, listen, I don't know. I don't know who comes up with these special holidays. I, my guess is it's greeting card companies because they can make a lot of extra money that way. I don't know. But, but the essence of this holiday, this national peculiar people day, is to celebrate this idea that they're, these peculiar people, they are not normal. However... The word peculiar, that's not what the word originally meant. The word peculiar originally came from a Latin word called peculium. And, and that word meant private property. And it was known that when someone would be reading scripture, that this word that it would be used, it was not used just to describe any private property, but it was used to describe a treasured possession that belonged to God. The word peculiar was not described to use or, or describe something that was strange or bizarre. It was understood to be talking about something that was very special and near and dear to God. And so, for example, in Deuteronomy 14.2, the King James Version calls Israel a peculiar people. They were a treasured possession that belonged to God. God had set them apart Israel was his treasured possession. And I believe that God says the same thing about you and about me. That we too are his people. As a matter of fact, Peter declares this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We could put a peculiar people right there. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so therefore, we too are peculiar. We are a treasured possession of God. Because we're a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we've been called out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Now I want you to notice something here. This is what God did for us. There wasn't anything that we did to deserve to be honored like this. We couldn't do enough good deeds to be able to buy God's approval. No, it was only by God's saving grace. And so this morning, I want to spend a few moments taking a look at the grace and mercy of God in our lives. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He, he starts off and he says that you were dead in your transgressions, that you were dead in the sins in which you used to live, and that all of us at one point in time were gratifying the sinful nature, the desires that, that we had, the sinful thoughts in our lives, and we were all deserving of his wrath. But then in verse 4, Paul continues on and he says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. When I was 16 years old, <clears throat> I was much like many of you, right? I was ready to drive, experience a little bit of that freedom. And I got my driver's license, and I remember a couple months after that, my dad took me to the car dealership where he knew a friend, and we bought my first car, $1,000 a 1986 Chevy Sprint. Now, 
Listen, yeah, if you want to look up what a Chevy Sprint was later on, you're more than welcome to, right? There was nothing fancy about it. It it didn't go very fast, but it was mine. And it it allowed me to go places and experience a little bit of freedom and a little bit of responsibility. And, man, I loved it. It was awesome. One day I had a friend who had had uh, surgery on their mouth, and they weren't able to eat, like, solid food for a while. And they said, man... You know, I can't eat like regular food, but I could really go for a milkshake. You know, would you, would you mind going to buy a milkshake and, and bring it over to the house? And I'm like, absolutely. I'll go spend $2 on a milkshake so I can drive my car and take you a milkshake, right? And so I go and I get this milkshake and I've got it in the car and I'm driving down the road. And, you know, when you're 16, you got to have good music on. And so, you know, I'm listening to music as I'm going. And all of a sudden, a song came on. I was like, man, this isn't. This isn't a song that I want to listen to. And so I decided I'm going to change the radio. And so as I was driving down the road, there was a little bit of a light rain happening. And I went down and I went to push the button to change the radio station. And when I looked up, I realized I was coming upon a curve that I was approaching too fast. And so as I started coming around this curve, my Chevy Sprint, not a big car, started to slide. I turned the steering wheel, overcorrected a little bit. I hit the ditch. And I started rolling. I rolled three times because I remember counting them as I was rolling. I lived out in the country, and so my car, we rolled into a wheat field. And when the car finally stopped, it was laying rooftop down, and I was hanging there upside down, fastened by my seatbelt. I was kind of in shock. I wasn't sure what had just happened. But I remember undoing my seatbelt fell to the roof of the car. All the windows had been busted out. If, I wish I would have had, you know, the, 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 the thought to take a picture of the car. I didn't. If you saw the car, you would be amazed that I walked out alive. As a matter of fact, I had one scratch on my finger. I, I tell you the truth, and I tell you any time I tell people this story, it is only by God's hand of protection that I am, was not killed in that accident. If you saw the car, you would be astounded. But I had a scratch. That was it on my finger. One of my friends that was a few years older than me, happened to be driving behind, had saw what happened. And he, hey, man, can I help you out? Is there anything you can do? This is days before cell phones. And so I said, sure. Would you be able to take me home so I could call my dad? So he gets me home, call my dad. My dad leaves work early, and we drive back out to where my accident had happened and of course as we're coming around this bin I see the lights flashing of a police car and I thought oh you know yeah gonna have to face the music for real now right remember I said that it was raining I went and we rolled the car into a wheat field and when I got out of the car I remember seeing the officer there and I immediately noticed something that his pants were wet from the knee down because he had been in the wheat field probably for the last hour looking for me because all he saw was an empty car. And I remember thinking, oh, man, this isn't going to be good. Looking back, I, I think that officer on the scene probably was expecting the worst, right? He, he saw what had happened, and so I get out of the car, and he says, is this your car? And yeah, can, can you get in the cruiser with me? I need me to answer a few questions. And so I had to get in the car, explain everything that had happened, why I had left, all those things. And I think, honestly, he was just relieved, mostly, that I was alive. 
And I'll never forget the compassion that he showed me that day because he didn't even give me a citation, which I certainly deserved. He showed me mercy by not giving me that which I deserved. But then he went on to tell me how thankful he was that I wasn't hurt. And he showed me grace that day by giving me that which I didn't deserve. He had every right to be upset, right? Upset that I had left the scene of an accident, upset for, for many different reasons, but I'm guessing that the, his gratefulness that he didn't walk upon a lifeless body in the middle of a wheat field trumped any anger that he may have had. And he showed me grace that day. He showed me kindness and compassion when it wasn't necessarily what I deserved in that moment. Grace is such a beautiful thing, isn't it? It is such a beautiful thing. And sometimes, for whatever reason, it's really hard for us to extend grace at times. But we always welcome grace with open arms. We are hopeful that when we do something wrong, that people will give us and extend grace to us, even when we may not deserve it. And God's great saving grace gives us so much more than we deserve. Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were dead in our sins. Romans 3.23, maybe it's a verse that you're familiar with, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you grew up in church, that might have been a verse that you had to memorize in Sunday school or something. But it's the next verse that, that Paul tells us that really frees us. Because Paul continues on and he says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We had nothing to offer God. Nothing. We could do nothing to earn our salvation. It was a gift that God freely extended to us that we all can accept. But what is this saving grace that God offers us? And what are we even being saved from? Maybe a better question. Will God save us from every bad thing that ever happens in our life? Will he save me from being in a bad relationship? Will he save me from a life-threatening disease? And the answer to that is not necessarily. Not all the time. Right? I mean, we all know people that have been in situations like that. Some of us have been in situations like that. And God says, I promise to be with you through all of those things. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've already overcome the world. Jesus tells us that the sun rises on the good and the evil, that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so if God's grace isn't saving us from all the bad things that could possibly happen to us, then what is it saving us from? Well, I believe that it's twofold. And I think that we need to think about both now and in the future. The, the future reference is probably the one that we've probably heard about most in, in our lives, whether you grew up in church or not, and that is this. Where will I spend eternity? When my life on earth is done, what happens next? And I'm aware that there are people in this world, maybe even people in this room, who might think that when you die, that's it. It's over. They bury you and it's done. But in our faith, and our tradition here, we believe something different. That if you accept the grace of God that he offers to us, if you believe in him, that there is more after this life. In eternity, 
with God, where we are fully restored, where we're in his presence, where we're at peace. And if we don't, if we choose to reject that grace that God gives, separation from God, which would be literally hell. But for a moment, I want us to think about what God's grace is saving us from now, today, in the present, in our present day lives. In my home church in Gathering Point, Bourbon A, just a few miles down the road, we have a saying that we talk about all the time, and we say this, <clears throat> God wants something for you, not something from you. He wants something for you. See, God has given us this gift of life, and he wants us to enjoy it greatly. Jesus said, I came so that you could have life, and that you could have it to the full. And every single day that we wake up is another opportunity for us to experience this gift of life that God has given us. And God doesn't want to see us do anything that will cause us to miss out on this beautiful gift that he's given us. He doesn't want to see us do anything that will cause others to miss out on this gift that he's given. See, he's created us. He, he designed us. The scriptures tell us that we were knit together in our mother's womb, that he knit us together. And so when he gives us commandments, and when he gives us the parameters in which we should live life and instructions on how we should treat others as well as ourselves, it's because he wants us to live a life that is full and free and with as few regrets as possible. Because regret is a horrible place to live, isn't it? It's a horrible place to live. Now, I get it. <clears throat> Some of us have found a way to kind of push regret just deep down inside. And I'm not going to let regret rule me. And I'm not going to let a book that was written 2,000 years ago tell me how to live my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And I'm not going to let regret do anything. But the truth is this. The truth is this. When we live our lives in that manner, we still have to look in the mirror every day. And we know who we are. And we might be able to fool our friends. We might be able to fool our families. But when we look in the mirror, we know who we are. And God knows who we are as well. And here's what God says. I love you too much to let you live life in that manner. To watch you go through life and this gift that I've given you and live it with regret. And God says, so I want you to know you don't have to live your life that way. You can live your life in such a way that is honoring not only of you, but of, the other, of those that are around you. And you, when you do that, will live a life that is so much fuller and free. I mean, have you ever known somebody who's lost a few pounds? Right? I mean, maybe you knew them a while back and... and <clears throat> You know, throughout the years, they've, they've gained a few extra pounds, and they just finally, they go, you know what, I'm tired of living this way, and so I'm going to eat a little healthier, I'm going to exercise a little more, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do things a little bit better, and all of a sudden, they lose 10 pounds, 20, 30, 50 pounds, whatever it is, right? I mean, they'll tell you that it's life-changing. As a matter of fact, most of the time, they don't even have to tell you. You can just see it by the way that they act by the way they move, it is freeing because they carry that weight 
no more. They feel better about themselves inside and outside, physically and mentally. And God says the same thing about our spiritual health. If we continue to live outside of his parameters, outside of his commandments that he has set, if we continue to live life in sin, doing those things, saying those things that sabotage ourselves and hurt others, God says it's too much weight for you to bear. You weren't meant to live life this way. I want you to have a life that's full and free. And as long as you keep living it your way and keep carrying around this dead weight, you're going to feel it. But my grace will set you free. My grace is a saving grace. And all you have to do is accept it and change direction. And then I think there's something about grace that says that we need to cut some other people some slack as well. See, in every story you find when Jesus encounters a sinner in the, in the scriptures, whether it be a prostitute or a thief or a tax collector, you notice that Jesus never condemns. He never condemns. But he does invite them to something more. He invites them to something better, to leave their life of sin. When we've been shown grace, given something that we do not deserve, shouldn't we be the first people to extend grace to those around us? So just for a moment, I'm going to talk to those of you in here that would consider yourself church people, those of you who would consider yourselves followers of Christ, Christians. Look, let's be honest. Sometimes we are the worst at extending grace. Sometimes we're the worst at it, and we should be the best at it, especially when we stop and we think about the grace that God has extended to us, knowing what our past is. But all too often, we're seen as judgmental. We're seen as unforgiving, sometimes angry. And I don't know why. Because God has extended so much grace to each of us. How could we possibly withhold that grace from someone else? Philip Yancey tells a story in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And it's a fairly graphic story, so I'll just give you a brief summary. But the story circles around a prostitute. <clears throat> Homeless, sick, unable to buy food, caring for a two-year-old daughter on the streets. And he tells a story about how she was doing unthinkable things in order to get food, in order to, to support a drug habit. And the man, through listening to her story, finally says to her, have you at least thought about going to a church for help? There's a lot of churches in this area, and they specialize in this thing, and they can, maybe they can help you get back on your feet. And as he tells the story, he goes on, he says, I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. As she said, church, why would I ever go there? I already feel bad enough about myself. They'll just make me feel worse. When we read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, people like that prostitute would flock to him. And so how have we flipped the script over 2,000 years to where it's the opposite now? 
How have we missed the grace that God so freely gives, the grace that can change a life? Grace that says you can come just as you are. I want you to look at a story. It's found in the Gospel of John. You may have heard this story before. It's about the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And it goes and says this. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. I mean, imagine just someone just walking a woman right here in front of you all. That's what the scene is. And they said, teacher. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and he said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Every story you read about Jesus in the Gospels, you see Jesus accept with love and compassion and mercy and grace. And he does not condemn, but he lovingly invites them to leave that life of sin so that they can experience life as he intended them to experience it. And for those of us in this room who have accepted that saving grace that God offers, knowing what our past is, then shouldn't we extend that same grace to those around us so that they too can know the freeing power that Jesus offers? I'll close with this story this morning. There was a man who lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. His name was John Newton. And John had a troubled youth. His mother passed away when he was young. He spent years fighting against authority, butting heads with those. And for some reason along the way, he thought that joining the military would be a good fix for somebody who had trouble with authority. But that would not work either. And eventually, John tried to desert his unit. He was unsuccessful. But later on, his crew kind of got tired of his antics, and they ended up abandoning him on the west coast of Africa, where he was captured and forced to be a servant to a slave trader. In his time there, he decided he'll do the very best that he could, and he works his way up the ranks and becomes a slave ship master, where he served for several years, bringing slaves from Africa to England. And a few years in doing that, one of his voyages, his ship was caught in a horrible storm. It was so bad that a hole was blown in the side of the boat. And in that moment, Newton cried out to God to save him, to save his crew, to save what was happening there. And the cargo, the story is told, shifted miraculously, filled the hole that had been created, and the boat 
drifted to safety. And in that moment, John Newton recalled that saying, my life needs to change. This isn't what life should be. And so Newton would end up leaving the slave trade and he would eventually become an ordained Anglican priest. And he would go on to write a pamphlet renouncing the slave trade industry that would eventually lead to the outlaw of slavery in England, in Great Britain, in 1807. Reflecting on his life, John Newton would pen these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I mean, the words of that well-known hymn, we know those words. We've all heard those words before, but they carry a much deeper meaning. When we hear the author's story, that it's not just mere gratitude that we know from a sinner, but, but it is deep, heartfelt words from the person who went through and understood what God's grace really meant. Because he was close to death at various times in his life. He was blind to the reality of others and the things that they were going through and the pain that even he was causing. And because of all that, Newton clearly understood the grace of God. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. God's saving grace. The grace that he gives and extends, which we do not deserve. Grace which forgives. Grace that calls us to something far greater and sets us free because God wants something better for our lives. Grace that we are all in need of. So I don't know where you all stand today. Maybe there's someone in here who has never accepted God's saving grace. Maybe you're embarrassed of your past. You're ashamed of how you're living. And you might even be thinking, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know the pain that I've caused and the hurt that I've brought. And if that's you, you need to know that God's grace is free to you. God invites you to take a new path and live the rest of your life with as few regrets as possible. And it's as simple as this. You ask God to forgive you. You accept his grace and you leave that life of sin and you begin living the way that he meant for you to live without the extra weight and baggage of regret, but full and free. Maybe you are in here, someone in here, just needs to be more grace-filled in your life. You've accepted the grace that Jesus offers, right? You've accepted his, his, his saving grace and, 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 and your eternal destination is set, and that's awesome. But maybe you need to be more grace-filled with those around you. Maybe even more gracious to yourself because we can be really hard on ourselves sometimes too. But wherever you are today, the invitation is not just to leave this place different because we've been shown grace. The invitation that Jesus 
invites us to is to go and live differently as we accept God's grace in our lives that he so freely offers. Today we're going to take Holy Communion together. I believe you were given uh, cups uh, with juice and wafers as you were coming in. If you want to go ahead and, and get that out, and you can even go ahead and peel that first layer back if you like as we talk. But on the night that Jesus would be arrested and tortured for crimes he didn't commit, he sat with his disciples and they shared a meal together. And I always find it interesting that every time I read the account of the Last Supper and Jesus is gathered with his disciples, that Jesus, knowing full well what Judas was about to do and even what he had already done, extends grace to him as well, the one who was about to betray him. And Jesus offers grace even to his enemies and models what it's like and what he's been telling them all along that my kingdom looks totally different than what you thought it was going to look like. And he tells his disciples that every time you do this, I want you to remember the grace that I offer. Remember what I'm about to do for you so that you can have real life. And then he took the bread and he broke it. And he invited them to eat, saying, this is my body given for you as we eat this morning. May we remember what Jesus has done for us. Take and eat. And then he took his cup and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we drink this morning, do so, remembering the grace that Jesus shows each of us and that he invites us to something far better. Take and drink. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, thank you again for an opportunity to be here. Thank you again for the grace that you show each and every one of us. God, may we begin to understand that because you have shown us grace, God, we extend grace to others. And God, maybe if we are somebody that has had a hard time extending grace, maybe today we make it a point that I'm going to start freely giving grace because you show grace to us. And if we are somebody who's never accepted your grace, God, there's nothing that we've done that's too bad, that makes us too far away. You say, no, 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 no. I did that for you so that you could have life, have it to the full, and you don't have to live with regret anymore. God, may we every single day wake up and value this gift that you've given us and accept the gift of grace that you call us to and the invitation to go and live differently because of what you've done for us. We love you. We say thank you for loving us. And we ask all this in your name.